Hey folks, JR, back for another episode of Echoes of Shannon Street Case File. It's going to be episode 80, Press Conference Part 4. Alright, we're going to continue to dig into this press conference here. I don't think I've mentioned yet, but from the pictures I've seen, it looks like the press conference was held in the auditorium at 201 Poplar. Which if nowadays, if you were going to go into the building, if you came in off the Washington Street side, after you got through uh, security, I believe now you have to go through into the uh, lower level where the courts are. But once you did that, you would go up the stairs or the escalator and uh, you would hang a right. And then back on your left, after you got to walking down that hall, you would see some doors. In fact, they probably got it marked auditorium, but that's where they held it at. After 30 hours, we had a good understanding of what we were facing were the attitudes of the people inside, what their interests were. Mr. Director, I've got a pretty good idea what their interests were. I think they told you. Even though we felt we had adequate control, no, you didn't. You controlled everything outside the house. We could never be 100% sure that if a person is flushed from hiding, that you're going to be able to contain him within a given area. What? That's... (laughs) Sir, I think your TAC unit could handle containment. With any possibility that that sort of person might escape into the community, might take other hostages, might expose other citizens to gunfire, then we had to discard any idea of just using gas and to forego the entry. And of course, we, were, we also still had the consideration about the officer. Really? When did y'all start considering the officer? Sometime at about 30 hours, who, as I say, we thought was still alive. Yes, sir, he he was still alive. Right up until they killed him about six to eight hours later. Folks, this is just a bunch of mishmash here. The, The director is just throwing out problems that are going to be dealt with. But, but it's almost paralysis from analysis. But he's doing that, I think, he's doing it intentionally just as a smoke screen to justify why they waited 30 hours. The first thing the TAC unit did when they came in, they relieved the uniformed patrol officers who already had a perimeter set up, an inner and outer perimeter set up. TAC unit just came in and took over the inner perimeter. That's all they did for the express purpose of keeping any kind of a of a push out uh, an escape into the community that that's just that's just ridiculous we knew that if we just put gas in if he was still alive he would not survive well you don't know that sir <laughs> so you're going to tell me you're going to wait till he dies before you put gas in 
We thought about the danger of gas itself to any people in the house, including the officer that might already be injured, particularly if they had a respiratory injury. The effects of the gas would be fatal. See, that's just more. Let's just make something up, or let's think of the worst possibilities to justify not going in. Remember, paramount importance, responsibility number one is the protection, the saving of the hostage, just like it was at St. Jude, like it is in any situation anywhere in the country, then or now. It's preservation of life of the hostage first. All other considerations regarding hostage takers is so far down the list that it doesn't even count. Also at that point, we had not been able to withdraw water service from the house. Of course, the availability of water would enable the occupants of the house to withstand to some degree the effects of the gas. You see, he's constantly doing this. If you want to know what he was telling the command staff when they were taking their votes, this is exactly what he was telling them. He was giving them all the reason in the world and the justification to vote, no, let's don't go in, all except the chief over special ops, who we've already mentioned continuously voted to go in let's go in that's all he's doing the director is just telling you exactly what he told the chiefs to get them to vote to not go in to just sit there on their hands and let bobby hester get beaten to death so at that point as i stated before ultimately it was my decision sure it was sir sure it was i'm sure no one else whispered in your ear what you should do or the fact that you should stall for 30 hours. Though, as I've said before, I felt I had tremendous police experience advising me. The decision was made to proceed. See, he's putting it back off on them. Well, you know, I, I had the decision, but of course, you know, I had all this experience telling me what we should do. I'd like to point out why I felt that any action other than what then, I'm sorry, other than that, we took would be unacceptable. The hazards and the risk involved were just too great. See, that's garbage. That That is garbage. The, the officer, the hostage, is being beaten to death. The hostage takers have told you that they want to kill the officer. And I'd like to point out one thing that I think I did not mention earlier. As stated earlier, I've given you the names of the individuals. There were 14 people, or at least 14 people in the house at the onset of this situation. There were seven in there, as you all know, when it was concluded. I need to point out that those that left were not hindered or deterred in any way according to their statements. They didn't want any part of it after the thing had started, although... A couple of them were involved in the first altercation. They wanted to leave. They left and were not hindered or deterred in any way. We knew at the time the ultimate decision was made to assault the house. We had talked to a number of these people already that they had left, that they had left without any hindrance, without any threats, without any deterrence. So we had every reason to believe 
to know that the seven remaining in the house were there because they wanted to be there. They were willing participants. Now, that's correct, sir. Before we move on to the assault, I'd like you to hear one more brief tape, which is a tape that was made right towards the end of the siege, just before the entry action was taken. Then in parentheses, the tape which showed the shrill voice said to be that of Lindbergh Sanders was garbled and incomprehensible. As I stated, those tapes were made from the listening devices that we had been able to install during the late hours of this siege. I think they give you a pretty clear indication of the emotional condition and attitude of the attitudes of particularly Mr. Sanders, who apparently was the speaker. You can see that there was no no appreciable difference in his conduct at the onset and at the conclusion. Folks, you know how you know that there's something wrong other than the obvious actions that were taken or the inactions that were decided was the fact that the director is just going on and on and on. Police departments have always and should always, you do a press conference, you just state the facts, end of the story. The longer you talk, it just makes it look like you're guilty of something. And, of course, they are. And I think everybody knows that the longer he talks, you just you put out a press release. He can give the press conference if he wants. Just state the facts. Everybody would have known and understood. And if you didn't, it wouldn't have mattered because they wouldn't understand or wouldn't want to. So why just continue on with this gobbledygook that he's doing? Other than the fact he's just chasing his tail. he He's just doing this just to cover some administrative butts. I'll go through the actual assault now. Explain to you in detail how it took place, what occurred, who received what injuries, and, when, and in what order, and what went on to the best of our ability. This particular part of it is the result of a summation or compilation of information furnished by the assaulting officers. I would like to point out that at this particular time, our investigation would substantiate, would verify what the officers have told us to their movements, their conduct, and what occurred inside the house. Now, that part's actually believable. That's actually true. That's what you do with the investigation. You take the physical evidence and you compare it to the statements, and it should all line up. As I also stated at the first, some studies of ballistics trajectory studies, etc., you know, could take weeks or even months to complete. All right. At 3.05 a.m., after some period of time of preparation, the actual order of entry was given. At that particular time, some 35 rounds of ferret tear gas was fired into the residence, along with other types of ordnance, some we refer to as flashbangs, ordnance, that are simply devices that create a loud noise and create a flash effect. The only purpose 
is they are designed simply to confuse or disorient anyone that happens to be in the immediate area, although that disorientation is very short-lived. It would be similar to a very loud firecracker going off close to you. It has no injury effect. The first entry was made at 3.06 a.m. by officers R.O. Watson, C.R. Summers, Don Rutherford, Kenny McNair, Dave Hubbard, and H.A. Ray. From this point on, <laughs> excuse me, from this point on, I'll generally just use their last names. First entry is made through the rear door by officers Watson, Summers, Rutherford, and McNair. As they entered the rear door, they received fire from somewhere up in this area, indicating the kitchen. Just several rounds. We don't know the exact location. Somewhere up in this area, they received fire. These four officers immediately fanned out in this area, and he's indicating the den. As they start to move, they receive fire again, and at that point, Officer Watson, Summers, and Rutherford return fire directed towards the front of the house. At that particular point, we don't know whether anyone is injured or not. We don't know who the gunman is at that particular point, but fire is returned. The first two advancing officers are Officer Watson and Summers, who advance into this den area. Incidentally, I should have pointed this out earlier, this is not a scale drawing. This room, indicating the middle bedroom on the west side of the house, is the focus of the attention. Alright folks, it's going to wrap up this episode here. Nice to hear the director actually quoting some facts. So far seems to be pretty accurate. We went over those statements of the TAC officers and We've seen the follow-up investigation, at least the, the part concerning the uh, activities and the activities of the of the TAC officers and then the, some of the physical evidence that's been recovered from inside the house. Of course, as we know now, even though he's having this press conference, there's things that are still setting up at TBI. You know. But anyways, it is refreshing to hear him just just talk of the facts stop all this other mess alright folks as always I appreciate you we'll get together in a few days till then I'll see you down the road <laughs>